What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I am Scott Lease here with my good friend and co-host Richard Harris. We are on season three of the Surf and, Sa- Surf and Sales podcast, and this will be episode nine, I believe. We just wrapped wow. up. Number, number nine. nine. Number nine. Number nine for all you Beatles fans out there. Uh, <clears throat> we are brought to you today and every day this year by our sponsors, Scratchpad, as well as Sendoso. The Surf and Sales podcast would not be happening without them, nor would the uh, Surf and Sales Summit. We have three events, one in May, which is sold out, two in November, one of which is almost sold out, and the second one is pretty open still, about 75% open or so. And our guest today is Mr. Derek Harvey, who is currently an AE at Seismic and former SDR leader at Lessonly, who was recently acquired by Seismic. And we are lucky and happy to have him here. And Derek, I don't know if you realize this, Richard, Derek is coming to Costa Rica. He will be at the Surf and Sales Summit. I think, are you you May? I'm in November. You're November. He is November. First session in November. He's gonna make us wait. Gonna make us wait, gonna make us. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you very much. Thank you both. So I have my first question. Go ahead. Um, as you became an SDR leader, obviously you were an SDR. Were you an SDR at Lessonly and then moved up through the ranks, or were you SDR elsewhere, or were you sales elsewhere and then you took over an SDR leadership role? Like, how did you get to that original leadership role? Um, good question. So, I have not been an SDR uh, in single capacity before. So, my background. Uh, started out as a full cycle account executive uh, selling talent acquisition software um, back in 2014. Um, started doing that for about five years um, at Career Builder and then at another company. Uh, and then in about 2018, moved out to Los Angeles to help my, my past company uh, kind of expand their LA market. Um, did that for about a year. And then that same company noticed some of the, the things I was doing to lift other markets up and kind of support other people and asked me to move back to Chicago where that company is headquartered uh, to take over their training and enablement team. Did that for about a year and a half until COVID hit. Um, I had made some good relationships with um, folks at Lesson Lee, Kyle Lacey in particular through some of the groups, Thursday Night Sales being, being one of those groups. Um, and ultimately Lacey reached out and said, Hey, we opened up, uh, some of our, our positions to remote candidates. Cause I'm in Chicago, Lessonly is and was in, in Indianapolis. Um, and so then that's what led me to Lessonly. And so I, I actually had never been, I've been my own SDR before. Um, yeah. So I want to, I want to pause right there. Right. Like that was the thing that's, you know, so you didn't go through the, the tradition, the current traditional SDR as an AE. Uh, was it just not an option? How did you create the right mind? My question is around mindset as an AE, because there are AEs who get it and they're very successful when they do full cycle. There are AEs who are, you know, um, uppity about it and think that they're uh, beyond prospecting. How did you, was it, was it like, yeah, that's just part of the gig or did someone have to coach you to do that? And then, so that's my first question that I have a follow up to it. You know, fortunately, and this not not to go even deeper, but I, I have prior to 2014 and getting into sales, I was actually a pastry chef for 10 years. 
So I came into sales knowing nothing about sales, knowing nothing about corporate America. Uh, I, I worked in small kitchens for all of my 20s uh, and, and half of my 30s. And then I got into sales. I got tired of the kitchen. So I didn't know anything from full cycle SDR shortly into my first year of, of selling um, the, the team I was on tried did to do. Did anybody teach you though? Did anybody like, okay, well, this is what you got to do. And you got to call this much. You got to email or was it the you know trial by fire? Or like It was trial by fire. I, I, I was pointed to podcasts and webinars. Um, I did have some, you know, some training, but uh, initially I was kind of pointed to, to podcasts so, and webinars. So let's say you're running a team now. Let's say you were running an AE team. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice do you give to those AEs? Or would you give to those AEs who don't want to do their own prospecting? They have that sort of arrogance about them. Do you write them off and go, all right, I can't fix you. Like that's, you know, that's bigger yeah. than me. Or like, what kind of advice? Because I think there's a lot of... Uh, AEs who are still in that mindset. Uh, I think they're getting better, I hope. But um, what advice do you give to them? I mean, I tell them to grow up and start caring about their their own bank account and their own pipeline. And and the SDR stuff is is great and extra gravy on top. I think I think for me, every AE should be their own SDR. And if you have an SDR, even more gravy, right? Uh, I I maybe it's just cause that's how I was brought up and, and the role that I'm in now, I don't have an SDR. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I just think that that's, that's, that's more of a conversation about attitude and, and self-impact. I think, you know, they, they might not necessarily realize that, that. you would have hired him at leap fish in a heartbeat. That's our new testament. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I would have said, to, I would have said my exact question would have been, You've been a pastry chef for 10 years. Why do you want to get out of that? And why do you want to be here selling? You, I was asked that. On, yeah, on, yeah, I do. I want to, obviously you answered it well because you got hired. I did. So um, the two things, first, why do I want to get out of it? I, I hit my breaking point when I did 355 hours in 22 consecutive days for 600 bucks a week. I'm not great at math. I'm trying to do math on that real quick. That sounds like a lot. It's 22 17 hour days in a row for five. Oh my God. For five and a quarter an hour uh, is what it boiled down to be. Uh, Cause I was a fool and I took a weekly, a weekly rate. Um, and wow. then I, went, I asked for more money and they, the, the couple who, who were my boss at the time looked at me like I had assaulted their, their child. And I said, you know, I think, I think I need to find something else. So you spit in their pastries. I, <laughs> no, no. no. Um, but I didn't have anything. I had no, I don't have a college degree. I have a pastry certificate. I have some culinary school. Uh, I didn't have any experience. So I had no idea where to go. Unfortunately, I had a buddy who was, who helped me kind of get my foot in the door, what turned out to be my first sales role. And when I was interviewing with them, I remember, uh, it was the, the, the gentleman who ended up being my manager, the guy who I learned was fighting fighting him for me. And then my, the woman who was my director, um, in the final interview, they said, you have, you're up against 16 other people. Why should you're up against 16 other people? All of them have college degrees. You don't, most of them have 
software sales experience. You don't. All of them have sales experience. You don't. Why should we hire you? I had never thought about that aspect of the question, uh, but I looked at him dead, dead in the eyes and I said, that's the exact reason why you should hire me. And they said, well, what do you mean? And I said, at the time I was 34 years old. I said, I'm 34 years old. I just left an industry that I do not want to go back to. And I have no other skills or anything else to fall back on. I make this work or I'm screwed. Yeah. All those other people have degrees to fall back on, experience they can fall back on, all of this stuff that connections they built. I have nothing. I'm 35 years old entering a brand new industry. I have to make this work or I'm homeless. And I got hired. And no, safe, no safety net. No, and I found out later, a year and a half later, I'm still friends with the, the guy who, who hired me. Uh, I found out a, a year and a half later that they were, the reason that they were in uh, multiple interviews and multiple of them is they were, they were fighting over me. Uh, of the 16, they had one opening and they both wanted the, the one guy with no experience, but all the, all the, the drive and the, the fear a little bit of the fear of not succeeding. Yeah, there, I mean, there's something to be said for that person who has nowhere left to go. Like, this is it. Yeah. Make it or break it. You know, back's totally up against the wall kind of thing. Like, there's a case to be made that that person's going to want it more and be more willing to do whatever it takes to yeah. succeed. And if you find somebody who is at that place and you're lucky to find somebody at that place who's sincere about it and willing to, Go go through with everything. That's you know, the, uh, then, you, that's, then you can hit a home run. You can hit a home run in that hire. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the option or gentleman Richard Gear. I've got no place else to go. Speech. Uh, you guys probably have never seen that movie. No, I don't know. You're dating yourself now. I don't know what you should go see it. You'd like it. So you'd like it. Louis Gossett Jr.'s best movie in my opinion. So um, you said something super interesting, Derek, which was uh, luckily I had a buddy. And I feel like that's such a common, you know, part of people's story who fall into sales or into startups or that kind of thing. I, I want to pivot that a little bit towards community and, and talk about like, what does being a part of different sales and revenue communities mean to you? What, what do you get out of it? Oh, What's man. in it for you? That's, that's a big question. Uh, I get so much out of it. Uh, I'll, I'll start with kind of the, the, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a giver. So part of what I get out of it is, is the ability to give back. Um, I know that's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a, a fluffy answer, but it is, it is true for me. So I, I, I really enjoy the ability to kind of give back and help and kind of lift other people up. But in terms of what I get, I, I get the same back from whether it's emotional support, um, which has certainly been, you know, the last few years, we've all needed a little emotional support, whether it's, uh, you know, through, I don't know, am I allowed to mention groups here? Yeah. <laughs> through uh, Revenue Collective, now Pavilion, which was a huge one that I've been a part of for the past few years. For example, for there, I was able to go and pull all of, everything I needed for interviews, 30, 60, 90 mock presentations. I'd never done one. So I could go and look at all of the resources that they had there, um, was actually able to pull lessonly 
uh, decks and do do my my interview presentation on Lessonly branded decks. So just kind of weird weird things like that. Um, but then just I like to go dig around and talk to people and find out what I don't know. What I don't know, I don't know. Um, and I think that's something that for the last probably two and a half years since I really dug deep into finding some good groups and, and becoming a part of some of these communities. I didn't necessarily have that intent about my career up until a couple of years ago. I was just kind of drifting and figuring I'll do this and I'll do that. I think having the community and being exposed to a lot of and, and making connections with a lot of, you know, VPs of sales, C-level people that I didn't have access to or, or, or the relationships with before have helped me more than anything understand the importance of looking forward and trying to figure out where where you're going and where I want to be. Um, when you say looking forward, is it more like, wow, I didn't even know that those things were out there or possible? Or is it more like illuminating the path? Here's the particular steps and things you need to do in order to go this route. Both. I'd say initially it was I didn't even know this was possible. Kind of a, a, I didn't even know I was that close to these things, right? In my head, like a VP of sales, which is, I think, as of now, my my next current goal. Scott, I owe you, I owe you a text to chat about this at some point. But, um, but you know, this is this is my five year goal, right? As of now, I didn't necessarily, to me, like, I thought that five years was twenty five steps away. I didn't know that I'm, I'm, I'm actually closer than I thought I was. Yeah. And it's yeah. actually something I, I definitely have. I know a lot of us suffer from imposter syndrome, but coming from the background that I have and kind of being scrappy to get to where I am in the, in the sales world, I, I thought VP of sales, like I don't, I don't have a degree. I don't, I'm not a finance major. I don't know all of these things. And so I just thought this, this just wasn't something that was possible for me, but meeting people who, have done it and, and maybe have similar backgrounds or have done it and said, I don't, I don't use my degree for any of this stuff. Like that was the initial kind of big push for that. And then I'd say now I'm starting to say like, now that I moved out of the, the SDR leadership seat, part of why I did so was because I want to get back into the closing seat so I can move up into the, the, the VP of sales role. Um, now is when I'm going to start leaning on some of those connections that I made say, okay, now I have the path, help me, help me understand how to get there. So I, I'm on the illumination part now. How do you balance what you're getting and receiving from the community and these, um, the members of it or mentors, or whatever, how do you balance that with giving as well and, and making sure that these people that are helping you don't feel like, well, there's Derek again, just, you know, for the hundredth time this week, taking from me, asking for advice all the time, right? How do you balance that out? That's, that's something that's constantly on my mind. Um, and I think that that's, that's part of it is, is being self-aware and making sure that you're, I think it's tough if you don't have a level of self-awareness. Um, but I find myself, you know, I've had a couple people in the past where, call it, you know, you get, get your wrist slapped a little bit or something where you know, I reached out to someone when I was looking for a job and they kind of gave me a little bit of, Hey man, only time you ever reach out to me is when you, when you need a job. And I was like, Oh, 
you're that's a good point you know i own it yeah um, and then but I, I think one of the challenges that i i had for a while that i've i've realized it doesn't have to be a challenge is you don't just because you get doesn't necessarily mean you have to give i try to give as much as i can but sometimes there's that feeling of like oh i don't have anything to i can't do it like scott if you came to me i would be like i i I go to Scott for advice. I can't, what am I going to do for Scott? And so that kind of causes me to realize, well, I think like I can't do anything for Scott. So I'm not going to. Oh, Derek, the list is long, my friend. I, I <laughs> <use a couple laughs> of he knows he's just using me as a placeholder. Right. I know. But, but I think, I think a lot of times that's, that can be a roadblock for people is, is saying like, well, what can I do? Well, you don't necessarily have, you can provide value in other ways, it doesn't be connected. Even just reaching out and saying like, "Hey, Scott, I uh, was thinking about you today. Like, saw you know saw your book on Amazon pop pop up in my feed, and just wanted to say, okay, hey. I'm, you know, just yeah. kind of like that. I'm terrible at this too, Derek. Like, you know, Scott's one of the few people I actually do this with. Like, I, there are times where Scott and I talk so much, I like call him and I'm just like, how like how's your health? Like, I know about his health, and so I'm just you know. I just know to do that a little bit, you know, but I'm terrible about it. So I, I feel you on that. Um, and I think just showing people that you obviously showing appreciation when people help you out, but then showing it's about, it's about showing up, right? Like it's like, yeah. means just showing up doesn't mean something big. Showing up just means being present for a moment, you know? Yeah. And, and like sometimes like just occasionally popping in and being like, Hey man, I, don't, I haven't talked to you in a while. Hope you're doing well. Like just, not that's the one thing I learned is like not don't don't disappear in between the, the times that you're you're being held. Yeah. Yeah. Just because yeah. you feel like you can't you can't yeah. reciprocate. You can reciprocate by being a human and by being just a, a, a an ear or something. So I think that's being self-aware and, and realizing that you can do more than you probably give yourself credit for. I want to I want to touch on that. I want to go back to something you said um that I wrote down, which was you know, you're five, you're closer to your five-year goal than you think you are. And I think we all have that challenge, right? And I think for me, the biggest problem is just sitting down and writing out what my five-year goal is. Like, I'm, I don't think I've done it in 15 years. Scott, do you do it every year? I write out my goal for this year. Mm -hmm. I don't write five or 10-year well, there's a reason. Well, you also you're jaded from your health stuff. Like five years is too far away for you to think. I can. She says a little bit scary for me. Right, so. right. I can appreciate that. But Derek, do you? What does that mean though? When you say you're much closer to your five year goal than you think you are. I mean, so I think so. My five year goal as of now is I, I jumped back into the seller seat because. As an SDR manager at Leslie, not having been an SDR at Leslie, I had a little bit of this. Well, I didn't, I didn't do the job, so it's hard for me to tell people how to do the job, and I know that that's my hangup. Um, but I didn't want that in in the next leadership role, so I said, let's jump into this the seat. I fully intend to sell Seismic for two years, maybe maybe more, um, and then my hope is to jump back into leadership, sales leadership on the AE side and then work my way up for the next three years, kind of up towards the VP of sales. And so I think when I, when I say I'm closer than I thought, or than I realized, 
I kind of thought that, you know, from AE to VP of sales was a 15 year journey and it, which it, it certainly could be, but I still don't have all of the, you know, I might talk to talk to Scott or Scott might tell me now, or Hey, five years isn't realistic, but I feel like a, a three-year journey for someone who does have enablement experience does have management experience. Um, that seems realistic to me. I'll also, I'll also tell you, I think you're even closer than that because you have life experience, right? Like the, the story you said at the beginning of, you know, having worked, how many hours was it? Uh, 22, 17 hour days in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then having to deal with those bosses, like, <laughs> you know, like if that's not the, one of the biggest lessons in pure leadership, good, bad, otherwise, biggest lessons in grind, hard work, dedication, biggest lesson in um, caring and having a passion about what you do, um, the biggest lesson about burning out, like that to me, and if you can take the, that just that one moment, you could craft a ton of leadership stories to get you to that place in my mind. In addition to, it's almost like, and, and nobody will ever do it this way, it's almost like all the sales experience is kind of like a plus one to that one moment. Like it's kind of like the sales, the sales stuff kind of matters to like, okay, I can do a process and I can close somebody, you know, but it's kind of like, no, 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 that pastry chef story is way more compelling to me than, than how, what's your average sales cycle and, you know, how many deals did you close, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it, it definitely, uh, you know, they say you learn, you, you learn by examples, good and bad. So that definitely gave me some, some framework for what, how not to treat people. Um, and then lessonly gave me the exact opposite framework of, of how to treat people and how to get the most out of people by being, uh, I, I don't respond well to being managed by, by fear. Uh, I don't think most people do. So I try not to manage by fear. I try to manage with compassion and uh, I shouldn't say manage, I should say lead because there, there is a difference. Um, but I think both. Yeah, but you were managed by fear in your first job in sales for fear of failure, like not that, not that you're bought, you want your boss to be like, you're going to be on the road and you're going to sleep in the bridge, you know, like yeah. not that kind of fear, right? Like not Scott Lee's type of management stuff. My, my own fear. My, my, I'm on my fire with fear. Scott today. I am so sorry, Scott. I am like riffing in the shreds. Um, <laughs> the party's over, Richard. We're not at the bar mitzvah anymore. I know, I know, I know. Uh, after Scott bought me a really nice bottle, uh, a nice uh, alcohol beverage. Um, but uh, but I can see, you know, there's a difference between fear for motivation and fear for fear. I think there's difference to, to go deeper. I, I think there's difference between internal fear and external fear. I push myself a lot still to this day with internal fear. I'm terrified of uh, not being successful. And I don't and I don't mean house and car and all of that. Like I have numbers. It, it, it was an, it, uh, it blew my mind uh, the first couple quarters into my first sales gig in hit quota. And I was freaking out. And a guy, one of my teammates pulled me aside and he's like, Hey man, you know that only about 60% of reps hit quota each month. Right. And I was like, but I'm supposed to hit a hundred percent to me. Anything less than a hundred percent is an F. And he's like, yeah. no, no, no. So like, I still have, like, I have numbers to hit. If I don't hit those numbers, I'm harder on me than any, any manager is going to be. So like, 
I still have that, that internal fear, but I don't, I don't respond well to managers who, who try to motivate by fear. Yeah, you're graded um, on a scale sometimes. Like, like a, a, you know, a C minus might actually be the, you know, the, the A plus for the course in accounting 101. So it just depends. What, um, when did you have that moment where you're like, oh, I actually like sales. Like you went from zero experience, you know, to, okay, I need a job to, oh, this is, now I want to make this a career. Um, I know the exact moment. Uh, I was, so for a brief time when I started, uh, I knew, like I said, I knew a buddy who helped me get my foot in the door, not for a sales role, for a contractor role, again, at Career Builder. I was screening resumes and doing phone screens for our, uh, their uh, kind of RPO arm. Um, so I was doing some, some sourcing engagements for, for clients. And one of the jobs that I had at the time was for um, Meyer, I think, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but whatever, it was 1,500 years ago, but um, was for Meyer uh, Superstores, you know, throughout Michigan. And they were opening up a bunch of, new stores. And I was responsible for resume screening and phone screening their minimum wage cashier positions. And so I did this all day long for weeks. And the number of people and at the time, still to that day, I was like, I'm just doing a job. I don't know what, what any of this means. Um, but at least half a dozen people throughout that engagement, when I would say, hey, I think you're great. I'm going to pass you along to the final step. I had at least half a dozen people start crying on the phone and they would say, thank you so much. Like I'm a single mother. I have three kids. I haven't been able to find a job in six months. Thank you. Thank you. And, and it happened once and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Then it happened again. I was like, and then after it happened a, a few times, it just kind of hit me where I was like, holy shit, I'm changing lives, Potent potentially changing lives how can I do more of this? I didn't know anything from sales, marketing. I still, I'd only been in corporate, the corporate world for a couple months, but I, I learned, that's kind of where I learned about the, the, the idea of multipliers. And I said, well, if I can, I want to do more, I want to change more people's lives. And if I help global organizations or national organizations at the time, streamline their talent acquisition systems process and, and just overall workflow, I can help them hire more people. So in, in effect, I'm, you know, the multiplier. And if in, in effect, I'm helping hire hundreds, if not thousands of people a year, which is way more than I'll ever be able to do on the phone. So I never thought if you told me, you know, 15 years ago, you're going to sell talent acquisition software, I'd say you're nuts. But that was my, that was my hook into like, it, it really drove me because I knew the impact it was having on not my clients, but on the, the people who were getting hired, the people who needed work, who needed a stream of income and were at their, their last step. And, and so that was kind of where I was like, I need to, I need to, I need to do this. Um, and then I just fell in love with, with solution selling, value sale, selling, and now being able to do that in the sales enablement space, using sales enablement to sell sales enablement to sales enablement leaders. It's pretty fun. 
That was pretty meta. Did you see what he did right there? Right. It's, it, this is literally the most meta. The only thing that could have been maybe more meta is I was also uh, thinking about, and who knows if this might fit into my five-year plan too, but I was also thinking about going in, back into enablement at Seismic. So then I'd be in enablement to sell enablement to sales and enabling. So, yeah, you get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you a couple questions about... Um, SDR functions and, uh, and, and, and that whole world. Number one, do you fall into the camp that SDR should report into marketing? And if so, why? So this is where you say you're going to get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> no, um, you know, I had never experienced SDRs uh, falling into marketing until I joined Lessonly. And, you know, we know how Lessonly feels about that or felt about that. Uh, it did. It, there were some pros to to reporting up to marketing um, that I, I I did enjoy. Um, there was some some alignment with the inbound uh, side, and, uh, but now it's because at at Lessonly we SDRs reported up into marketing uh, at Seismic. Now uh, we we report or they report up up to the sales org. So. If I'm being honest, I, I don't necessarily have a strong opinion one way or another, but I, I know it's a polarizing debate, but- um, Be polarizing, Derek. Come on. Be polarizing. Pretend, tell me, let me answer it this way. Answer it's like the boss that you had when you were the pastry chef. Be angry about it. Take a position. <laughs> and, and um, I, You know- Hey, oh, here's a different way to look at it. Imagine this is a VP of sales interview. And somebody yeah. says, and somebody says to you, "Hey, where do you, where would where would you put the SDR team? Would you put it under you, or would you put it under yeah, the marketing?" You're going to get asked that question. Oh, I'd put it all under me. Well, there um, you go. Well, there, 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 see how easy that was. I yeah. just I just had to frame the question better. I, I think that there's to, to me, you know, I did like I said, I did see some pros having it roll up to marketing, but I think from a from a whole org standpoint, having SDRs part of the sales org when I'm looking at SDR development, if they're moving into the AEC or if they're moving into post sales or all of these other areas that hopefully your organization has career pathing available or is working on it. But to me, if, if an SDR and the SDR team is under the sales org, I think there's alignment in the day-to-day of course, but I think also in, in what comes next it's there's some, there's, Dive into, you, dive into you, though, what were the good things about why I should go to marketing and then, you know, get specific is what I want. And then, you know, get more specific than the day-to-day part of the sales piece. Like, I think so for, for, for at Lessonly, you know, we have a fantastic marketing team, a uh, fantastic head of marketing. Um, and what well, I, I the, the merge is, is finished about 10 days ago. So I'm still used to saying less than the seismic, but we are all one now. And that fantastic head of marketing is now heading up uh, marketing at seismic as well. So um, I, I, I liked the alignment with some of the messaging there. I think, I think where it could fall into dangerous areas is if, if your marketing organization doesn't necessarily think about things in the, in the right way from a communication standpoint, um, it doesn't necessarily allow you to take their message and make it because we don't, we don't send 
canned marketing jargon in, in, in emails. We, we make it a human voice, a human, you know, syntax and words. And, and so I think if you have that flexibility where marketing is going to provide that foundation and provide the, that knowledge, and then you have the flexibility as SDRs to action it in a way that is, you know, in your voice, in your, you know, kind of process and method, then I think that there was, that it was great there because a lot of the SDRs don't necessarily have experience with messaging around complex products or things like that. So it was helpful to kind of be aligned with marketing in that aspect, because I think there was more, a little bit of a deeper understanding coming from the marketing. Um, whereas if in sales, I think it's, it's just a different, a different message and a different process. How do you feel about the state of SDR compensation? I, Underpaid, I, more or less accurately paid, overpaid. I, I think, I, you know, I think SDRs are always underpaid. Uh, I think. Are they being, um, are they being comped on the right metric? I think it depends on what what metrics if, if you're only being comped on meetings set or meetings you know meetings ran uh, I think to an extent that's that's good but I I think that there there should be some sort of it's tricky because you don't want to start comping them on output because then you're increasing you're encouraging yeah, well then you get dirty meetings right yeah yeah uh, so I, I do think that they're comped, you know, they're being measured on, on the right things for, for the most part. The reason I say, I think that they're underpaid is because I think just in general, fortunately, you know, I haven't experienced this in the, in the places that I've worked with SDRs, but I just know SDRs, uh, in a lot of organizations still are undervalued, uh, underappreciated AEs kind of, you, you know, use them as their, their whipping posts a little bit sometimes. And so I think, I don't care if what, what you're getting paid. If you're an SDR, I think you could probably get paid more because you put up a, a tough job. I want to get, I want to get y'all's opinion on this. So, cause I, I work with different companies and Scott, you do too. Part of me thinks that SDR compensation is stage appropriate. If I'm an early stage company, you know, series A or pre, you know, seed stage, I might want to comp my SDRs on filling the calendar because I need to figure out what I don't know yet. As we get smarter, I want to comp them to fill the funnel. Even at in a growth or an expansion stage for the ramp period, I might want to compensate filling the calendar for the first 30 or 45 days for the SDR so they can learn and I can get them used to asking for the meeting because that's oftentimes one of the hardest pieces is, you know, you know particularly if it's someone who doesn't have experience. But then you're moving the goalposts on people all the time, Richard. Scott, I've worked with you. You've moved goalposts before. <laughs> yes, but we have learned and evolved in the last 20 years. <laughs> Hopefully. But, but I think that, but again, like in a ramp period, that's no different than, hey, to the AE, you only need to hit this much. Like, hey, my point is it's, and it's not carte blanche for everybody. I'm curious to your opinion of, you know, it's stage appropriate, right? Like, because the one thing, particularly like those early stage companies where 
you know, the CEOs haven't, you know, they've closed 10 customers through friends and family. Now they think they're ready to bring in four SDRs and, you know, you're going to battle those and those SDRs have no real experience yet. Like, you know, but they're hiring because they're cheap, they're inexpensive. Like to me, that just feels like the right thing in many cases, but I'll stop and let you guys tell me I'm wrong. I think that that actually kind of made me, I, I've reevaluated my answer a little bit while, while you were talking. I, I do think that it would be, I, I would like to see, so I, you know, having them measured on meetings completed, I do like the idea of there being some sort of, you know, like as a manager, I'm, I, you're compensated on conversions and uh, attainment. So I, I think it would be helpful to, to have something along the lines of, okay, you know, yeah, you have your quota of X numbers, you know, eight meetings a month or whatever, whatever your, your quota is. I think it would be helpful to have an aspect of an SDR quota to be, you know, depending on, on your, your verbiage, like for us at Lessonly, something became a, a, an opportunity, a, a valid opportunity after the discovery call. And then we call that active discovery plus. So when something's gone beyond discovery and now it's in guided evaluation and they're starting to have those conversations. So that's when something would actually dollar wise would actually hit our pipe as a manager. That was a number that I cared about. Of course, SDRs didn't necessarily think about that. So I think being able to do like that would be a helpful way to push that quality to make sure we're, we're hitting quality meetings and saying, Hey, you're also compensated on those meetings that are converting past, you know, the initial discovery stage. Um, I think that would be a good way to push that, the, the quality piece. But I, and I definitely do think that it's, it, it varies stage by stage. I've seen a lot of differences just being from lessonly with, you know, 300 people to now seismic with 1500 people. I see differences in, um, you know, how they view success. So I think state, you definitely have a point there with, with the stage in, in my book, Richard. Well, before we start to move towards the close and we want to thank Scratchpad and Sendoso once again for sponsoring the Surf and Sales podcast. I want to touch real briefly on the mystique, at least I perceive there to be mystique around a merger. What the heck happens? What changes? What's bad? What's good? I mean, the merger got announced what feels like to me forever ago. And you just told me that it finished, you know, a, a couple of days ago. And I'm sitting here going, well, what the hell were they doing for the last few months? Like, can you talk about one or two of the things that you learned through the um, merger process that you know, were pleasant surprises and maybe one or two things that were a pain in the neck. Yeah, it, definitely. I think we announced it back in August, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so August or September. So it's been a long haul. Um, also, I think it's been extra long because both of our fiscals re restarted uh, on February. So that was kind of a, a clear reset date for us. But I didn't realize it, it makes total sense now, but I didn't realize especially in this situation, I've been part of a, an acquisition before with private equity where they just let go of hundreds of people every couple of days. Um, but in this situation, when Seismic acquired Lesney, like they, they truly wanted the, the product and the people and the culture. And, and so they really wanted to bring us and kind of integrate us within 
their actual company. And so I think that I didn't realize how much when you're looking at from a, a mapping and a leveling standpoint of trying to figure out, all right, you know, we have a complete organization. Now we have this other complete organization short of, you know, they didn't want to do, or they all, I don't know if it was even in discussions, but they didn't want to do like, all right, let's just keep Lessonly selling the Lessonly line item uh, of, of, of Seismic. Um, they wanted, so now like I, I sell the entire platform. Um, so that I didn't realize all that would go into finding spots for everybody uh, <laughs> and trying to make everybody not, you know, feel like something was happening to, to them specifically. Right. I, I didn't really take into account the, the, the massive scale of what was going on until I was, had a team of eight to 10 people asking me every day, what, what the heck was going on? And I had to find answers. Um, so that was, I, I don't know if that was necessarily a pleasant surprise in this situation. It was a pleasant surprise just because it was nice to hear that seismic actually cared about, about us. And, uh, you know, but it, it was a lot. Um, Richard, Richard, was that your experience with the merger? So I've been through a couple of them. So one as the acquiring company, and this is old and this is massive bravado, um, if people are really interested, you can go read about the trial of New Times and Backpage. The guys are getting, I know these founders and owners, and they're going to go to federal court over um, pimping and escorting. So <clears throat> it's a fascinating story. Um, but we were literally taught to go and just stormtrooper in. Like I literally was in Denver one day and they said, how fast can you be in Cleveland? I said, well, if you need me there tomorrow, put me on a plane. I'm going to have to move back. You know, i got to come back and get my shit. And they're like, okay, we'll get you on a plane. And then they came in, the owners came in the very next day with me and they said, okay, everybody, you know, just so you know, like look around and uh, probably half of you won't be here in a year. Like, that was the first message they dropped to the, to the employees. Yeah. And, was, and of course I was 26 and I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Badass. Uh, so that's one. I've been on the other end of it too, where to, to your point, Derek, where you, you hug them as much as you can, as long as you can. And even when I, my last real job where, where we were acquired, I was hugged out the door. They didn't need me. Uh, Intel purchased the company I was with. And, you know, my company was gracious and kind to give me like 90 days severance and 90 days health benefits, which is before I started my consulting business. I think that's a lot of runway. And I was sad and angry about it all and all those things. But, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, in hindsight, that was the right way they should do it. So, all right, Derek, so we flipped this over to you. What questions do you have for us? Um, well, I'm kind of curious, you know, we were talking about my, my five-year journey and Richard, you said that you, you think I might even be closer than, than I think I am. Uh, what, what makes you say that? First of all, that five-year question has been around since the 60s, yeah. right? Like it's a standard, sell me this pencil interview question. And so I think people default to it um, a little too much. I also think in the worlds you and Scott and I swim in, in Startupville, five months is five years, right? What we do in six months, you know, at General Electric or, or even Salesforce, you know, it might take them. 12 to 15 or 18 months in terms of experience. So it kind of depends on what size award you're in and the experiences you've had. 
um, and the successes you've had. So that's the first thing. Um, I do think that people overlook the life experience. And that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons I think startup stuff was so much fun and exciting because they just want to see we've been through a grind, right? They're almost interested in, in that to see how did we handle the grind? You know, what are my failures? You know, it's kind of like, I don't know that I'd go and talk about my failures in an interview first, but I certainly wouldn't be afraid to bring them up. So here are the five lessons I've learned in the last three years and blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. if I can articulate that in my resume and, and get someone to interview me. Uh, that's one thing. And then the other thing too, is that um, there's no reason people shouldn't interview just for the sake of interviewing, right? Like, why not? Who, who's, who's to say you couldn't land a VP of sales job because someone, you know, haven't been an official director. That doesn't mean anything. You've got experience, you know, so how do you tell that story? So that's my answer. So. Okay. I would just say people are always just one good ride away from getting that executive role. Yes. And that by good ride, I mean, some type of sales leadership kind of role where you even have the ability to move maybe from manager to director and you're sort of like kind of getting things off the ground, but then you're riding shotgun next to somebody who's been there and done that and taken it. And you make that ride one time, you are now qualified to have first time VP of sales interviews. And, and potentially get them. And so everybody is really like two to three years away if you haven't already done that. So, you know, if you stopped what you were doing right now and went to XYZ company and and went on a good ride for a few years that that did, did pretty well, bang, you're in line for VP of sales interviews. For people who are doing that right now, like whenever they decide to leave, they're in line for that first VP, what some people call a stretch VP uh, interview. So you're never more than one right away. Yep. That's how I describe it. Scott has this other thing that I love. I, I repeat a lot too, which is, you know, um, you want to try to find that if you're, if someone is looking for the role, you want to find the leadership who wants to hire the can do versus the have done. Yeah. Which yeah. is you, Derek. That's how you describe my entire career. Right? Like, but that's that's it, and that but that means grit and passion and desire and all that stuff. Versus, you know, and that doesn't mean because you have done it, you don't have those things. But you've got to be able to articulate it, and so I think that's a important piece. So, yeah. I like that. Right on. Well, we appreciate right, you Harvey. spending some time with us today, Derek. I appreciate cool. you spending some time with with me. It's been fun. All right, bud. Good to see you. I look forward to seeing you in Costa Rica. Be sure to check out surfandsales.com for the last few slots that are left. See you next time, everybody.